Let me begin today by saying thank you for being here for the session number one. And maybe you're watching online, maybe you can't be here in person, so I appreciate you joining us online. You've heard me talk about this spirit war for several years now. And I told you last Sunday as we closed, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says specifically that the Holy Spirit will reveal truth. And the Holy Spirit will show you that which is to come. That's his role in the church age. So the Holy Spirit has been powerful in my life in this series. And here's why. Many are dying in this spirit war. The battle between good and evil, God and Satan, there is a battle that's raging. They are dying because of the lack of truth. Let's make it clear. Many are dying in this spiritual war, and they're dying simply because of the lack of truth. The truth that would have set them free from sin and death, the truth that would have made them victorious on the last day. This five-part series will be specifically focused on how to survive the spirit war. Most of my teaching in this series will come from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians reveals the mystery, and I'm going to show it to you, the mystery of the spirit war. This is the letter that Paul clearly describes the spirit war that many in the church and unbelievers then and now still refuse to acknowledge to their own destruction. And I want you to look at this picture. It, it kind of illustrates that there's something going on behind the scenes. There's something going on beyond the physical realm. There is a spiritual realm. And if you refuse to acknowledge the spiritual realm, it will be to your own destruction. There is something behind the veil. There's something beyond this life. There's something in the heavens. Someone in the heavens. So I'll begin this five-part series with the words that Paul uses to close out his letter to the church. We call it Ephesians. This is his closing of the letter, and then we'll work backwards and go through Ephesians. So in Ephesians 6 verse 10, Paul says, i give you a final word. Here's his conclusion. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why? Because he knows. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. There's the spirit war. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. 
Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy. That's the purpose of this series. So that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then, after the battle is over, you will still be standing strong. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. After the battle is over, you will still be standing firm. A survivor in the spirit war. So let me tell you what went through my mind when I wrote this message, at least the beginning. Some of you are going to think in your own mind, he's going to talk about that again. So let me say this. If that's what's going on in your mind right now, you are the ones I am most afraid for. Are you listening? If you hear this part right now and you're thinking, yeah, he's going to talk about a spirit war. You're the ones I'm most fearful for. You are spiritually arrogant. You don't think you need sound teaching. And you think you are strong enough to stand against Satan in this so-called spirit war. Or maybe you're on another camp, on another side. Maybe you just refuse to deal with the truth. You're this ostrich with your head in the sand kind of a life. I, I just feel uncomfortable when you talk about it, so I wish you just wouldn't even bring it up. I fear for you. It is only the truth that will set you free. Only the truth has the power to overcome this spirit war. That spiritual arrogance, and let me be clear, it's in the church. That spiritual arrogance is what destroyed Israel. And it's what's destroying many in the church today. The Apostle Paul warned the church at Corinth about spiritual arrogance. Paul records the tragic judgment of God upon Israel because of spiritual arrogance. Israel had this feeling that just because we are who we are, We don't have to pay attention to God, that we're the children of God by natural birth, right? So we don't need to pay attention. So Paul records the tragic judgment upon Israel because their arrogance led them to idolatry. Their arrogance led them to sexual immorality. And their arrogance led them to grumbling about His holiness. Sound familiar? Every attribute that God warned them about are the attributes of the American culture. Yes, it's in the church. So, in 1 Corinthians 10, 3, ancient Israel is under the cloud of God's presence. God has taken them out of Egypt. He's going to cross the wilderness. He's going to lead them into the promised land. I want you to understand... The cloud of God's presence was leading them. He was among them. And yet, this occurred. 1 Corinthians 10.3. We're talking about Israel. All of them. All of Israel. Ate the same spiritual food. And all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ. Let there be no doubt who was leading them through the wilderness and the promised land. That rock was Christ. And yet God was not pleased with most of them. 
and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. You see what arrogance will get you? Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happen to Israel as a warning for us. He's talking to the church. These things happen to Israel as a warning for us so that we would not crave the evil things that they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happen to them for examples. These things are recorded in the, in the scriptures as examples for us who live in the church age. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, church, that's who he's talking to. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. These temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you will endure, so that you will survive the spirit war. The way to escape is called truth. The way of escape is the Word of God. It is powerful against Satan lies, Satan's lies, and that spiritual rock of truth has a name. His name is Jesus. I want to repeat verse 11 from Ephesians 6. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Jesus is God's armor. He is the armor of God for the spirit war. He is our rock. <clears throat> Why do I make such a big deal about arrogance? Arrogance is putting trust in your armor. Your armor won't work against the devil. Your armor doesn't have the power to overcome the evil schemes of Satan. That's the purpose of this series. Jesus is the only power on this earth that can overcome the devil. Why? Let's make something clear. Right now, you and I live, and we call it the church age. We live in the time of the dominion of Satan. Jesus calls him the ruler of this dark world. As of now, as of this moment, he still has the title deed of planet earth. It's under his authority. It's under his control. You need to understand that. And Jesus is the only power on this earth can overcome that dominion of darkness. There are two spirits in the spirit war. The Holy Spirit of Christ and the unholy spirit of Antichrist, which is the power of Satan. So, let's dive into this book of Ephesians and prepare ourselves to be victorious and survive the spirit war 
in our time of waiting. And I, I want to say this as we begin. These messages, the reason I'm so passionate about this, the reason I make such a big deal about this series, these messages are life and death. They are heaven and hell. Your eternal soul depends upon how you respond to the Word of God. This is serious. Ephesians begins with the revelation of God's mercy. God's mercy to save us, offered freely to all mankind. A living water that if you drink of this water, you receive it by faith, you can have life forever. Ephesians 1.6. So we praise God for the glorious grace. He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He, his, He's so rich in kindness and grace that He did what? He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered His kindness upon us along with all wisdom and understanding. There's the Holy Spirit. He purchased our freedom. That is how we survived the spirit war. He purchased our freedom by the blood of His only Son. In fact, that's the only way to survive in the spirit war. The blood of Jesus that forgives our sin and makes us at peace with God. The Ephesian letter is revealing a mystery. A mystery that many people in the church, you still don't get it. A mystery that was not previously known by anyone on earth. I'm going to make a big deal out of this. There is a mystery revealed by Paul in the Ephesian letter. And he himself says this mystery was not known to any human on earth before it was revealed to Paul and the apostles and the prophets. What is the mystery? The Holy Spirit has revealed these mysteries to the apostles, specifically to the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul. And what is the mystery? Let's begin, let's begin with this. A revealed mystery about the spiritual war. Let's go to verse 9. God has now revealed to us His mysterious plan. It's mysterious. God has now revealed to us His mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill His own good pleasure. God's own pleasure through Christ. And this is the plan. At the right time, He, God the Father, will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. At the right time, everything, everything. I told you a minute ago that right now we live in the dominion of Satan. He has a power and authority on the earth. But at the right time, here's the mystery. At the right time, God the Father is going to bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything, listen carefully, everything in heaven and on earth. It's not just the earth. There's a spirit war in the heavens too. And at the right time, God's going to bring everything in heaven and on earth under the authority of Christ. Verse 11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For He chose us in advance and He makes everything work out according to His plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. 
And now, so it began with the Jewish people, right? And now you Gentiles, that's us, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, here it comes, and when you believed in Christ, you put your faith in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you what? What identified you as one of His? By giving you, by giving me the Holy Spirit who was promised long ago. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is Christ in me. The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us as His own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify Him. Somebody say hallelujah. That's why He did it, so that we would praise and glorify Him. And this is the plan. I want to say it again. At the right time, that time's coming. Everybody listening? At the right time, He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and everything on the earth. Satan will be, at the right time, Satan will be dethroned and Satan will be imprisoned at the right time. And what happens in the meantime? So that tells us the future. So what happens in the meantime? I like to call it the time of waiting. I feel like I live in the time of waiting. So what happens in the meantime? You live in the spirit war. That's the purpose of Paul's letter, to prepare the church to overcome the power of Satan in the time of waiting. So let me give you this physical example. It's a, everything in the Old Testament is a revelation of Christ. Everything that happened in Israel, it was kind of an example for what he was going to do in the church age. So in the, in the Old Testament, God comes and he takes Israel out of Egypt. He breaks their bondage and he, he, he starts them on a journey toward the promised land, right? But what's between Egypt and the promised land, the wilderness? Where are you? You're in the wilderness. You and I know that in the future, at the right time, he's going to put Satan in prison, and he's going to dethrone him. And we're going to enter the promised land. But in the time of waiting, we're in the wilderness. So what do we do while we're in the wilderness? We have to overcome the spirit war. Israel had to overcome it. The time of waiting is the church age. That's been some 2,000 years now. And when I say 2,000 years, most people's eyes kind of glaze over because we mortals can't really comprehend 2,000 years. But let me put it like this. That's been 28 generations of us. If you take 2,000 divided by 70 years, the normal life expectancy, you have 28 generations, 28 groups of people who have come and entered the wilderness and gone before us, gone to be with their fathers. And all of those 28 generations that were in Christ all read the same scripture that I just read to you. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. The Holy Spirit has been on the earth during this entire 
2,000 years. This is the power of God to overcome Satan in the spirit war. The Holy Spirit, for the last 2,000 years, God has released the Holy Spirit upon the earth. And when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, enters you, this is the power that overcomes Satan in the spirit war. The church, listen carefully. The church is the body of Christ. The church represents God on the earth in the time of waiting. But preacher, you told me that Satan rules a, a dominion power on the earth. He is. He is. That Jesus himself says that Satan, at least for now, is the, the prince of this dark world. But what's, so what's the church? The church is the body of Christ on the earth in the time of waiting. The church is the light of the world that operates alongside of the darkness in the time of waiting. You and I live in the time of waiting in which both are upon the earth. Both are upon the earth. The Holy Spirit church is upon the earth and the power of Satan is also upon the earth. And they are here at the same time. Both spirits are operating on the earth at the same time. That's why there's a spirit war. The church is the Holy Spirit power operating, and I want you to visualize it, operating right next to the unholy spirit power of Satan. But know this, know this. Satan still has dominion and he still has authority. Even though we're here operating, we're the restrainer of his evil. We are the restrainer of his darkness. But let there be no mistake, they are both operating side by side in the time of waiting. Verse 19, Paul says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he, Jesus, is far above any ruler. So Satan, Jesus is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, <clears throat> not just on the earth, not just in the present time. But in the world to come, he's going to be supreme. God has put all things, listen, God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is what? The church is his body. The church is Christ operating on the earth in the time of waiting. It is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. The incredible power of God is the resurrection of the dead on the last day. That's a big deal for those 28 generations of people who came and read the same Bible I'm reading. The incredible power of God is the resurrection of the last day. God the Father has put all things under the authority of Christ, but he has not exercised that authority yet. <clears throat> this is so important for the church to grasp. 
God has put all things under the authority of Christ. Everything in this world and in the world to come. But he has not exercised that authority yet. But one day soon, when everything is ready, he will exercise that authority. In fact, Jesus puts it like this in John 14. When everything is ready, I will come and get you. He he announces that I'm going to go to the Father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to go and do what I need to do. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you because that'll be the right time. I will come and get you so that you'll always be with me where I am. The time of waiting, the church age, the time when the Holy Spirit of Christ will work alongside and against the spirit of Antichrist on the earth at the same time. So I'm setting the stage. For the spirit war. Why is there a spirit war? Because we live in the time of waiting when the church is operating under the power of the Holy Spirit and Satan is operating under his own dominion and power and authority. And we're both here on the earth at the same time. Now, we can get into some details about how to prepare for and survive the spirit war in the time of waiting. While we, like ancient Israel, wander through the wilderness, heading toward the promised land, how will we survive the spirit war now? Ephesians 2.1. Once, he's talking to the Gentile church. That's us. Once you were dead because of your disobedience, and your many sins. You were, you, you were breathing air, but you were walking dead people. You had no real life. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin. Just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. There's the spirit war. You used to live in sin. And you obeyed the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. Who's the commander? The devil. You used to live obeying him. It's called sin. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So you're serving one of them. Either God or Satan. He's the spirit that works in the hearts of those who deny God, refuse to obey God. Verse 3. In case you're feeling good about yourself, he says all of us used to live like that. That's all of us. We all used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of the sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Sin is from Satan, and sin is a killer. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, do you realize that at some point in your life, black and white, here's the truth, you were a follower of the commander of the unseen world? That I, at one point in my life, was a follower of the commander of the unseen world. All of us were. That defines our past life, church, but it cannot define our present life in Christ. If we are living in the power of the Holy Spirit, it cannot define who we are now. 
We used to live like the rest of the world, but something changed. We used to live to obey the devil, but something changed. We used to be under the influence of the spirit of Antichrist, the commander of the unseen world, but something changed. We used to live in willful disobedience to God, but something changed. We used to follow the passionate desires of the flesh, the sinful nature, but something changed. We used to live as enemies of God, subject to God's anger, subjects to God's wrath, but something changed. That change is Christ. Let me put it another way. That change is truth. Truth. The change is the power of the Holy Spirit entering into my body, entering into my temple. The change is death. Listen, this is what the church struggles with even today. The The change is death to self. That's why Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny you. But I don't want to. You must deny yourself. The change is death to self. It is death to the flesh. It is to change sides in the spirit war. It is to withdraw from the authority of the commander of the spirit war. And submit to this king in waiting called Jesus Christ. This is the only way. I'm telling you, church, it's the only way you'll survive the spirit war. But something happened. In the middle, something happened. It's called grace. Mercy happened. Grace happened. The undeserved favor of God was presented to the people of earth. Mercy happened. Faith happened. Let's go to verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved, for He raised us. You want to talk about the resurrection? He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to look at something. What was it that got us raised from the dead? Jesus and me, okay? When the two of us were united together. And what is this? When the Holy Spirit enters into me, into you, two will become one. That'll be session three, by the way, in this series. Two will become one. And when that happens, listen, when that happens, you have experienced a resurrection. You have experienced this resurrection. Because we are united with Jesus Christ. Verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us as shown in all He has done for us who are united. Here we go. All of us who have done for us who are united, who have become one with Christ. 
What happens when Jesus and me, Jesus and you do this? This is, this is really big. What, what happens? His father becomes my father. And I have disengaged from the commander of the unseen world. And I have been engaged now to the creator of the universe. There's two choices. But the spirit war remains. So, so, okay, preacher, you got my attention. I've been born again with Christ. I've died to self, to flesh. I've changed sides in the spirit war. But the spirit war remains. The time of waiting remains. What now? Grace happened, but what now? Grace broke Egypt's bondage, right? Grace broke Egypt's bondage for Israel. But what happened? Then they entered the wilderness. Then they entered the time of waiting. Listen, then they entered the time of testing. You live in the time of testing. I live in the time of testing. We live in a spirit war. Jews and Gentiles alike have both been offered the mercy and grace of God through faith in Jesus, the Son of God. But the spirit war remains. The time of waiting remains. The time of testing remains. What now? We're in the wilderness. What now? Here comes the big point. What is the purpose of the church in the time of waiting? What is the purpose of the church in the last days? The Apostle Paul reveals this mysterious plan of God for the church in the last days. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that many people in the church have no concept of the mystery that Paul reveals in the Ephesian letter. What is the power and purpose of the church in the last days? This is so big. Many church people don't get it. And if you don't get it today, it's because you've fallen asleep. Verse 8. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasure available to them in Christ. I, Paul, was chosen to explain to everyone, listen, this mysterious plan of God. What is such a mystery? The creator of all things. This had been kept secret from the beginning. Nobody knew about it. God's purpose in all this. Are you ready? God's purpose in all of this was to use the church. That's us. To display his wisdom in its rich variety to who? This is what the church doesn't grasp. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities on earth. No! In the heavenly places. He's going to use the church to affect the heavenly realms? This is the Spirit warned. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We think of the church as only having influence on the earth. We're the light that shines in the darkness on the people of the earth. We're, we think of the church as that we, we are to seek and save the lost, and go into all the world and make disciples. And, and yes, of course that's our goal. 
But do you understand that there's also a higher purpose? He's going to use the church to reveal a mystery to the inhabitants of heaven. God is revealing his wisdom to the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. He's using the church to do that. The church is part of the spirit war plan of God to the unseen world in heavenly places. So who are they? If he's going to use the church to affect the inhabitants of heaven, who are they? Who are these unseen heavenly rulers that God is going to use the church to reveal himself through? Who are they? You'll never understand the spirit war until you understand this issue. Notice how Paul puts it in chapter 1. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to repeat verse 18, chapter 1. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are, so, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Don't, don't miss this statement. In the heavenly realms. Now he, Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world that's coming. God has put all things under the authority of Christ, and he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. All things. God the Father has given Jesus authority and power over all things. All things. Listen carefully. All things in heaven, in the unseen world that you and I can't see, and all things on earth. Things we can see on earth and things you can't see on earth. All things. This is our chance of survival in the spirit war. He and he alone has all power, dominion, and authority in heaven and on earth. All things now and all things to come. This is our victory in the spirit war. God is using the church to reveal this mystery to the unseen powers of heaven. And you and I are a part of this mysterious plan. I want to say it again. Right now, though you may not understand it, and I don't understand it that deeply either, God is using the church to reveal this mystery to the unseen powers of heaven. The Bible is clear that at some point there was a rebellion in heaven led by Satan himself. God is using the church right now in the time of waiting to reveal the mystery to the unseen powers of heaven. And you and I are a part of this mysterious plan. I'm going to repeat verses 3 through 11. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will, as you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations. But now by His Spirit, 
He has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited. Here comes the next big point. Inherited by whom? God's children. Both are part of the same body, Jews and Gentiles, and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. Now let's stop for a moment. They belong to Christ Jesus. So here's the, here's the two that have become one. And the, as the two became one, we now take on an identity in the heavenly realm. The identity now is not only are we united with Christ, but now for the first time we are called God's children. This is important. Both are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain everyone, to everyone this mysterious plan of God, the creator of all things, had kept secret. He had kept it secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and all the authorities in the heavenly realms. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. The mystery. And let me just stop and ask you a question. Do you see it? This is the essence of the spirit war. The mystery. Do you see it? Who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day? This is it. What? Who will be? Now I'm talking about not just on the earth. I'm talking about in heaven. Who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day? Paul writes this, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by whom? By God's children. Both Jew and Gentile are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ. They're one with Christ, now they become the children of God. All creation is groaning. If you wonder what's going on in the world right now, when everything looks like it's turning upside down, and good is evil, and light is dark, and crazy is wonderful, and wonderful is crazy, creation's groaning. All creation is groaning and waiting for this mystery that I'm talking about today to be revealed. What is the mystery? Listen carefully. All creation, all of the church age, all of the church activity that God's using the church to reveal His wisdom and His mystery to the unseen world, all goes down to a single point. You ready? Who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day? That's it. This is the mystery. It was thought at some point it would be the Jews. And then Christ came and they rejected him. 
He came to his own and his own received him not, but to as many who have received him and called upon his name. He gave the right to be called what? The children of God. So it was thought to be the Jews, but then the Jews rejected him. And here comes Jesus and he dies on the cross and he sends out apostles to the Gentiles. And now it's the church. So there was this 2,000 years he shared this message with the Jews. And now it's been 2,000 years he's sharing this message with the Gentiles in the church. And it all comes down. It all comes down to a single event on the last day. Who will be the legitimate children of God? Not, not just on the earth. Not just on the earth, but in heaven. Who will be his in heaven? Who will be his here? Now you and I know that to become a child of God, we must be united with Christ. It's the only way. This is the spirit war. This is what all creation waits to see and experience. And I'm going to ask you a question. Will you survive the spirit war? And what happens if you don't? This is where I'm going to have to close the first session. But I'm asking you to listen very carefully to this ending. The mystery revealed through God's working through the church is singular. Who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day? Remember when Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. But he says, I don't know you. See, it's the battle between who will be the legitimate children of God. Not, not who thinks they're the children of God on the earth. Not who thinks they're the children of God in the heavenly realms. But who are legitimate children of God. The mystery revealed through God's work and through the church. Who will be the legitimate children on the last day? The message of God to the church in waiting. You and I in the wilderness, I want you to read this like you're between Egypt and the promised land. You're in the time of testing. You're in the time of waiting. They've told you about the promised land and they told you what you need to do to get to the promised land. But now you're in a spirit war called the wilderness. Listen carefully. Everything's heading toward this. It's written in Romans 8, 18. Yet what we suffer now, church, is nothing. Whatever you think you might suffer now in the wilderness time of waiting is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children are really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children. Do you see it? In glorious freedom from death, Glorious freedom from decay, that's aging. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Right up to this present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit, we still groan. We still groan. We have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. But I still groan. Groan. 
For we long for our bodies to be released from sin. We long for our bodies, our flesh to be released from suffering. And we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us the full rights as adopted children. Somebody say hallelujah. All creation's groaning waiting for this event. Including the new bodies. He has promised us. Woo-wee. You get a new one. It will not be subject to death. It will not be subject to decay. It'll be new. It'll stay new, forever new. It'll put all the orthopedic doctors out of business. <laughs> Hallelujah. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. It's already yours if you are this with Christ. It's yours. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently, church. And we must wait confidently, church. The spirit war. First session. Listen carefully. Who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day? Not just on the earth. Ah, no, no, no. This is the mystery. But in heaven... Remember when Jesus said this to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He is illegitimate. And there will be those in heaven who will follow him in this great fall. All creation is groaning in eager expectation. There's a single event when the legitimate children of God will be revealed. The revealing of the sons of God. The New American Standard puts it like this. The revealing of the sons of God. That's what all creation is headed toward and waiting for. The revealing of the sons of God on earth and in heaven. Revelation 21.7. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God. Victorious. They overcame in the spirit war. And I will be their God and they will be my children. You know, people, since I was a child, have always used the same word. But, but you know, preacher, we're all God's children. That is a lie. We are not all God's children. Only those who have become one with Christ will be legitimate children on the last day. This is the mystery revealed to Paul about earth and heaven. Part two, next week. And if you don't become a legitimate child of God, what happens? If you're not a child of God, what happens? It's called the second death. It's a horrible thought. I don't even like to dwell on it. It's overwhelming to me to imagine it. It's a nightmare event in which there are people who believe that they are the children of God only to find out that they are not legitimate at all. They have been, listen, Satan's number one tool is deception. It's always been his number one tool. It's called the second death. 
It is to face the wrath and judgment of God. He has not destined his children for wrath. He has destined his children for glory. But if you are not his child, if you have rejected his only begotten son, you are destined for wrath. You are destined for something beyond your comprehension. It is eternal. It is unending. It is horrible beyond horrible. And there is no escape. There is no appeal. There is no recovery. It is called the second death. In Revelation 2.11, Jesus makes it clear. And listen, he is writing to a church, to a church called Smyrna. And he says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious, here's the Spirit war. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed at all by the second death. It's real. The victorious survivors of the spirit war will not be harmed. You don't have to worry about the second death. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you don't worry about the second death. It's not yours. And what specifically is the second death for those who don't survive the spirit war? Revelation 20 verse 14. You don't have to guess. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire, hell, is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life is, was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen carefully. Here's the closing. The book of life, the Lamb's book of life, is a list of the names of the children of God. They are the legitimate children of God. And whoever's name is written in the book of life was not thrown. But if your name is not in that book, you will be thrown into the lake of fire. The only survivors in the spirit war will be the children of God. So I'll ask you, will you survive the spirit war? Is your name in the Lamb's book of life recorded as one of the blood-bought children of God? Is Jesus your brother? A lot of people struggle with the idea of calling Jesus brother. It's okay. It's Jesus your brother. Then we've got the same father. That's what holds us together. So Jesus writes this to the church at Sardis. Revelation 3, 5. All who are victorious. Listen, church. All who are victorious, here's the spirit war, will be clothed in white. And I will never erase their names from the book of life. Somebody say, I'll leave. All who are victorious, I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my Father and His angels, what? They are mine. They are mine. This one's with me. This one's with me, Father. They are mine. Blood-bought, they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He's saying to the churches. Last point. Jesus reveals a mystery about servants and sons. Reveals a mystery about two fathers. Legitimate sons, illegitimate sons. Listen carefully. John 8, 35. A slave is not a permanent member of the family. And we're all slaves at some point. But a son, oh, but a son 
is part of the family forever. So if a son sets you free, if the son, S, capital S, Jesus, if Jesus sets you free, then you are truly free. You realize that you are descendants of Abraham, and yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your heart for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father, not my father. Slaves. I'll ask Chad to come on out for the invitation. Slaves to sin or slaves to God? Sons of God. Now, for much of my life, I read that scripture, and quite frankly, I never really got the deep meaning of it. Jesus tells this story, reveals this mystery that slaves have no permanent place in the family. It's all temporary. Slaves, we're all slaves. The Bible clearly says we're all slaves to sin and death, right? We begin our life in the flesh, slaves of sin and death. By, by nature of that condition, we have no permanent place in the family. But if the Son sets you free, then son, but a son has a legitimate place in the family forever. It's eternal. When we are united with Christ, we go from a slave to sin to a slave to Christ. And when we become slaves of Christ, that which was temporary, you and I live on the earth, we breathe his air, we enjoy his creation, but it's all temporary. It's all temporary. It's not going to be eternal. We're going to be cast out of his presence. But when you unite with the Son, when the Son sets you free from sin and death and decay, then you've got a permanent place in the family. Permanent. Forever. Your name's in the Lamb's book of life. It'll never be removed. You never have to worry about the second death. So I'm going to ask you a question today. Are you right now, for sure, a legitimate child of God? You've got to die to yourself. Don't let Satan trick you. Don't let him deceive you. You must deny yourself, take up a cross, follow this king. The world will reject you, and it's okay. They rejected him first. So we're going to sing a song. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead will raise you from the dead. But you must receive him by faith. You must receive him. Do not be deceived, church. Do not be deceived. The invitation's open. Let's stand. Mm -hmm.